I think one of us should say Rad Strangest, then another should say International. You know what I'm saying? Well, come two, okay. Rad, <laughs> like, what do you... <laughs> no, one of us would say... Welcome to Camp Rad Strangeness International. campers welcome back to your favorite podcast that would be rad the podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia comic culture all things paranormal and minors in retro video games tabletop rpgs pre-internet mysteries and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s i'm your camp counselor tyler bentz and this is your other counselor woody brown hey pal hey man man it's been a while huh i know right Crazy. Long time since we've we've uh, we've been together. We've been all over the place. I yeah. was at a uh, Heroes Con up in Charlotte, which mm-hmm. was awesome, and you were passing in through right when you were there, Bill, West Virginia. Mm. Yeah, just Virginia. Let me take it again. And you were in Bump, <laughs> Virginia. Oh man, yeah. Summer's crazy, and it's uh, well, it's gonna get crazier. It's not, uh, it's not over yet. So, hey, man, that's a great story, and we will definitely do a Patreon about it. But what's our topic today? Oh man, dude, today, you know, I'm super excited because we've kind of been up in the, um, well, like the Europe region and that kind of thing mm. as of late. But mm. this week we are back in my neck of the woods, growing up, and that is Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. and. Man, I found this entity that I had never heard of before, but it kind of checks all the boxes about things that we love. So without further ado, let's get into it. One thing that we talk about on our show a lot is our... Uh, fascination and how easily captivated we are by folklore and mythology from other parts of the world. Well, in the Malay Peninsula, Sumatra, Borneo, mm-hmm. Malaysia, and Indonesia, basically, they have a ton of really captivating stories and interesting entities. And one such entity that emerges from these mystical lands is called the Orang. Bunyan. Mm. I think we did briefly talk about this class of entities. Um, Maybe, but listener, if you're, and I'm not saying you're confused, Tyler, but just to kind of like make sure we're on the same page, the word wrong means, it, it's basically like how you refer to as like a, as people, a person in Indonesian. Hmm. And so, so, so basically our way of saying like humanoid. Kind of, yeah. So there's yeah. the wrong pendek that we've talked about before. So you, Maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these supernatural beings, though, are also known as the hidden people or whistling people. 
They hold a prominent place in Malaysian and Indonesian folklore and have been captivating imaginations of those who believe in their existence for a long, long time. Their name actually comes from the word buni, which means sound, and refers to the fact that although you may hear them, you may never see them. Wow, I like that. So I want you guys to imagine dense jungle. What I kind of try to describe to my kids, like what it was like growing up in the tropics and growing up amongst like rainforest, it's kind of hard, right? Because here we are in Northeast Georgia where, yeah, there are some big leafy trees and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's nothing like the types of plants and animals that were in the rainforest. It was just one of the most amazing experiences that I had as a kid. So it's easy for me to kind of put myself in this landscape. But for you guys, I want you to imagine like a very, very dense canopy of trees, a forest filled with really huge leafy plants and bushes all around you. Tons of colorful birds and flowers and just beautiful jungle, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine en- encountering one of these creatures that is, and here's the key part, it's invisible to most, except for those with what some call spiritual sight. Mm. These creatures are said to possess an ethereal beauty, donning ancient Southeast Asian attire and bearing an uncanny resemblance to humans. In some accounts, it's said that they even lack what's called a philtrum. That's the vertical groove between the base of the nose and the upper lip. You know what I'm talking about, right, man? Like, you're an illustrator. You know that little, like... Yeah. Yeah, space. So, sometimes... It's like a little, like, dimple. Your finger should fit right in there. Uh, yeah, dimple's an interesting way to describe it. But sure, a, a groove, right? Valley. However, more modern interpretations have given rise to depictions that include more elf-like features. Mm pointed ears reminiscent of European elves and fantasy attire influenced by high fantasy or the traditional Mingang Kabao long coat clothing. Mm. So basically what I'm saying is this is almost the, what we're going to talk about today, man. And, and, and as soon as I kind of started digging into this, I was thinking like, man, Tyler's going to really start to love this the further we get into it because there's elements of the fae Mm, and this mm-hmm. is almost like their version of it, which is super mm. interesting, right? So you've that got these cool. like invisible creatures that live out in the woods or the forest, or the rainforest, that only some people can see. And sometimes they reveal themselves and everything. And there's a scary element. Well, l- you know. let me ask you a question. Is there a, is it similar in how a lot of like Western cultures sort of believe that like, like kids, you know, before you get to a certain age, like kids can see these things or no? Well, buckle up, buddy. Okay. All right. Sorry. So the Orang Bunyan are said to dwell in the deep forests and high mountains of the Malay Peninsula, Sumatra, and also Borneo, kind of far removed from human civilization. Now, to kind of give some context here, you're talking about in Sumatra, but also in Borneo, there are areas of these islands of Indonesia that are relatively untouched, very remote, okay? There's small villages. There are people that 
I don't know, if you want to get some idea of, let's say, Sumatra, there's a Gordon Ramsay, I forget what his international show is called, but it's on, you can watch it on Disney Plus. Oh, yeah, I think it's And he goes to one. Western Sumatra. And mm-hmm. is that the one where they're like cooking out and like on top of like a mountain? Probably. Like a, and like, like the, a field. the roofs are very like spiky and cool looking. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put some pictures on the, uh, on the Instagram, but... Mm-hmm. There are these mountainous areas that are just remote, remote, remote. However, contrary to popular belief, they are not completely isolated from human communities. It's actually believed that these enigmatic beings can also be found living near human settlements and even sharing some of the same houses as human families. In fact, their social structure is thought to mirror that of the ancient Malay Peninsula society, complete with families, clans, and even royalty. Now, what sets the Orang Bunyan apart from other mythical creatures is their reported benevolence towards humans. Now, in today's episode, you're going to hear kind of two different sides of what's going on with these people, or these creatures, or entities, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're going to hear about the positive, and sometimes we're going to hear about the negative, which I think can be true, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong here, with the Fae in general, right? Yeah, right. So the Orang Bunyan are known to befriend and even assist individuals, particularly magicians known as Dukun or Bomo. Okay, you got my attention. And shamans known as Pawang. Legends attribute supernatural powers to these beings, making it crucial to appease them through rituals and customs before entering into their territories. Mm. Trespassing without proper respect and observance of their practices might result in unwanted consequences. Man, I mean, that is like, like to a T, the same like as like the European... You know, British Isles, Mm -hmm. exact kind of motifs. Interestingly, the Orang Bunyan are not just mystical beings that remain distant from human affairs. Mythology suggests that they have intermarried, dude, this is nuts, that they've intermarried with humans and even produced, and this is where it starts, invisible offspring. What? Legends speak of men who chose to leave the Bunyan community and return to their human families after marrying an Orang Bunyan woman. However, upon their return, they discovered that time had passed differently. With everyone, dude, dude, this is insane. With everyone they once knew having long passed away. I mean, this is just like, talk about this striking resemblance between stories of uh, Rip Van Winkle, well, which is, Taro, uh, yeah, which is all from fairy lore and like right. fairy abductions. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I've you know that I've never thought of this until this very moment. Mm. But it kind of makes sense because I think that idea of like you know oh we I was you know taken away you know I was with the fairies for a night and we danced and da 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 and then you come back and it's like twenty years later or that idea. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think of that in terms of like like the movie Interstellar, yeah. where it is truly like another dimensional thing where time passes 
at a different rate. I don't know. To me, yeah. that feels very like it kind of gives like a scientific angle to it, which I think is pretty cool. For sure, man. And also it makes you think of, you know, as kids, I think probably the first thing that we ever uh, kind of came ever. in contact with regarding this sort of concept would have been the flight of the navigator. Oh, right. You know, and... and Which, God, that was so scary, it was, that idea. It was, man. That was like the scariest... That was yeah. one of the scariest things ever I is agree. to imagine like coming home and your parents are just like older and you've just yeah, been gone was, this whole time. It was so like like sad to me and just like, ugh, it just like hurt your... You, it's like that feeling you would get whenever you're in a store and like you, you, you know, you walked right, your mom walked left and you can't find your mom. It was like that kind of longing feeling, you know? Yeah, dude. It's terrible. It is. So the Rong Bunyan's influence extends, you know, beyond folklore and mythology and kind of really weaves itself into the fabric. It's so cool because, like, this is part of still, even to this day, the modern-day society and culture of Indonesian mythology, in particular... Mm -hmm. The Minangkabau region of the Sumatran Islands associates the term Orang Bunyan with the concept of God. Mm. However, it's essential to understand that this term actually refers to like a nation of spirits living in the forests they, near cemeteries or on the edges of hills. Mm. If you happen to find yourself in the outskirts of a hill, they say, before sunset and you catch a whiff of an aroma often called God's cooking or God's sambal, wow. it is believed to be a sign of the presence of a wrong bunion. Man, that's cool. Dude, incredible, man. Yeah. In some instances, people claim to have been hidden by this bunion or gods, leading to a popular belief that they have the ability to take away human babies. Man, that's like... Straight up like changeling. Changeling, but it's also, it reminded me of Tim Marshenko's book, um, Disembodied Voices. Uh, yeah, I knew it was coming out. And in fact, children are not allowed to roam around before sunset. Parents will commonly tell their children, don't go anywhere because they, they use this almost as like a cautionary tale, right? You know, mm -hmm. you could be taken or you might disappear, which is an interesting sort of angle, not just taken, but they these creatures had the power to make someone disappear. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So when looking at all of this, kind of before we go any deeper, I, want, I wondered, okay, are there any modern accounts? Is, just, is this just sort of oral tradition in these cultures that has lasted and you know, stood the test of time? Are, is there anything that's happening now? Mm -hmm. Well, when we get back from this break... We're going to dive into some that are not just happening all the time, but stories from people that are, you know, big time Malaysian movie directors, people that have talked with their grandparents about these things happening to them when they were children. Crazy mm. accounts. Man, I love it. After these messages, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pretty good place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Dude, this is like right up my alley, I and I've I've never. I mean, I've heard, I've heard the phrase like a wrong bunion, but I I've never heard of the. I mean, this is, I mean, this is like I I I'll, you know aside from Tim Marchenko, I also think of Joshua Cutchin mm, mm-hmm. uh, with like the you know, uh, the food uh, the, like uh, a Trojan feast, yeah, Trojan feast, and like okay, so go back. One thing that I'm a little unclear on go was like it. the. The idea of like the intermarrying mm-hmm. and like so if you marry one, you turn invisible. Uh, well, no, I think I don't think you t- you disappear from. Here's what I think is happening there, and we're going to talk about there. I have a story actually that's just called I entitled it the marriage. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the way I kind of understand it and in the lore and stuff, and again, dude, I had to actually like Google Translate. A ton of like random yeah. blog sites oh, yeah. that are in Indonesian and Malaysian, but the way I understand it is just like sort of the the concept of the fae and, and fairy land or whatever. Let's say you fall in love with like a an elf, right? Mm-hmm. And they take you into their world. Well, you've now disappeared from your plane of existence. You're not. Oh, right. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah, yeah. how you disappear. So when, so it's basically the exact same as like fairy abductions or, or going away to quote-unquote fairyland. Right, right. Yeah. It does get a little bit more complex in a minute when we talk about like that happening with children and stuff mm-hmm. or having offspring that are half human, half elf. You, mm. you know, it's it's wild, dude. I mean, to me, that, that also kind of gets into the alien hybrid mm-hmm. stuff, which yeah. I, you and I both agree that like... It's kind of all probably tied together. Mm. Oh, listen to this, dude. So they're also kind of, it's weird because I feel like there's a lot of, there's a mixture of things happening with this. And I think sometimes it kind of gets lumped together into the 
sort of blaming it on the same entity mm-hmm. where I think there might just be several kind of things going on. Mm-hmm. So for example, sometimes there have been stories about it being sort of mischievous in a way. Yeah, like trickster if, archetype. Yeah, stuff. if you don't do what you're supposed to when you enter into their like area. Mm-hmm. So this actually happened to a movie director, a, a Malaysian movie director, and he's an actor named Aftalin Shauki. And mm-hmm. he says that he had encountered an Arang Bunyan-like incident. While filming a movie called Mystery Jalan Lama, it was in the Bellum Rainforest. And he had ordered two busloads of costumes to be sent to the filming location. Well, one of them, they noticed that it was like taking too long. They weren't there when they were supposed to be. He's trying to figure it all out. His, you know, um, assistant director and everything is, you know how it is. Everyone's mm-hmm. trying to, you know, figure stuff out. Well, finally, one of the busloads arrives at the location. The other bus went missing completely. And here's what's crazy, dude. When they went and traced back the road and stuff that 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 bus would have gone on, the only thing that was found were this busload of costumes scattered all over the forest. No bus, no driver, nothing. What? Yep. Just scattered costumes throughout the forest. Did, did they ever find the driver? Didn't find anything, dude. Oh, my goodness, man. That's crazy. Mm. Now, here's one from, again, a lot of these I had to find, or I, a lot of these I found on either Indonesian or Malaysian sort of blog sites where people were talking about this. And most of the time, it was, you know, either kids our age or younger who were kind of saying like, hey, has anybody ever you know, experience anything like this. I remember da 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 right? Okay. So this story is from an Indonesian kid, all right? And I'm just going to, uh, I'll just read it here. And it says, okay, here it goes. A story of my late grandfather that he had told me before when I was a kid. In the early 1970s, my grandfather, Mustafa, worked in a large plantation on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia. The plantation was situated south of Lake Toba and was in hilly terrain. All the executive's houses were constructed in a straight line on top of a low hill. His house was the second one in the row. In the front of their houses were a few rows of oil palm trees. After this, the hill sloped off into a valley. As it was too steep to plant on this slope, it became covered over with undergrowth and small jungle trees. The valley itself was a riot of all sorts of tropical creepers, weeds, and large trees. On the other side of the valley, the slope was terraced and planted with rubber trees. Oh, my God. Yep. Of course, it's a rubber tree. Yep. Michelin man's around. All right. Mm-hmm. Just that same <laughs> elemental. So as he was new to the country then and just learning the language, and let me break in real quick, a little side note. Although there is a... Uh, an official language in Indonesia. It's called Bahasa. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like if you're a D&D fan, it would be known as like common, common or whatever. You're talking about a group of thousands of islands where there aren't only just different dialects. There's also just different languages altogether. So someone could be from another island of Indonesia, uh, you know, take a boat over to the 
outskirts of Western Sumatra and not be able to understand a word these people are saying. Mm. So technically they're from the same quote country, but they're speaking different languages. And that's why eventually the Indonesian government said, okay, this is our official language. Everybody's got to learn it, you know, whatever. People still don't. India is very similar like that too. Like completely different. It's so not just like, Not like just dialectually, but like completely different languages, like, you know, 20 miles down the road. Yeah. That's crazy. Tower of Babel. Okay. Yep. As he was new to the country then and just learning the language, he kept mostly to himself after work and poured over an Indonesian dictionary every night. Other than satellite TV, they had no other entertainment. On weekdays, he hit the sack early as he had to get up at five the next morning for work. Even from his first week there, he noted that there was some sort of celebration or prayer meeting every Wednesday evening straight opposite his house. Although he saw no one, he concluded that this must be the case as precisely at half past six every night, he heard the sound of metal drums. Hmm. This sound went on for about half an hour or an hour and then stopped as suddenly as it began. When he asked his house help as to what was going on there, she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and did not reply. He thought it was impolite or improper to ask about such matters, and so he didn't bother to question her about it any longer. As he got to know the plantation better, his curiosity about this drumming became deeper. He knew that there were no houses or buildings in the valley in front of his home. On the hill beyond the valley, there were also no homes or any other buildings. Yet every single Wednesday, the drumming appeared to be coming from somewhere very close, almost as if from the valley itself. Finally, as tactfully as possible, he asked some of his assistants as to what the sounds were and from where it was coming. They just smiled at him and said, Itu Orang Bunyan, which translates to it's the Bunyan people. And so what does is, what is Bunyan mean again? Yeah, so it means, their name comes from the word boony, which means sound, and oh, refers sound, to the right. fact that although you may hear them, you may never see them. Right, right, right. So humanoid sound. Mm-hmm. Man, that's cool. He did not wish to look like silly by asking them what the Bunyan people were, so he just said, oh, and nodded in agreement. There was an assistant named Jamal there who was particularly close to him. So my grandfather asked him in confidence as to what these Bunyan people were. Jamal replied that they were invisible people, somewhat similar to the gnomes and fairies of Western folklore. They liked living near humans and and sometimes got friendly with some of them. There were stories about how some human males married Bunyan females and went on to be accepted in the Bunyan community. They got real friendly. They, however became invisible to other humans as soon as they entered the Bunyan community. Hmm. Humans could ask for help from the Bunyans. If a person was having a feast and did not have enough cutlery or anything for the occasion, plates could actually be borrowed from the Bunyan people. And they said, great care, however, must be taken that not a single plate is broken. So he asked Jamal to see, or he asked Jamal as to how he could prove the drumming was made by the Orang Bunyan. And he replied that on one Wednesday, two other assistants determined to find out once and for all from where the sound was coming from. So 
armed with flashlights and long knives. They proceeded to look for the source of the sound as soon as it started. They so des- this is like like nighttime, like yeah. at the sun's? Okay. They descended all the way into the valley and traveled up, he says, a quite a distance on the hill onto the other side. And still the sound appeared to be coming from just a short distance in front of them, almost as if it was traveling further and further away from them, almost like luring them in. Mm. Now, by this point, it had already gotten dark, and these guys got freaked out, and they're like, nope, we're going back. Yeah. And that's actually, I know that's kind of a, uh, I don't know, anticlimactic ending, mm-hmm. but this was, you know, the story and the experience that this guy's grandfather had there. I mean, you know, they say that, like, I, I've heard a lot of those sort of accounts where they say that they're, you know, and again, cue the the Tim Marshanko praise uh, from his book, Disembodied Voices. But there is a sort of a motif of, like, you know, oh, well, I went to go after the sound. Like, I heard a baby crying, which, you know, a lot of times that can be linked to, like, even Bigfoot and stuff like that. But it's like as they go toward the sound, it's like the sound just keeps kind of eluding them, you know? Yeah, man, it is it is strange because it does seem that there's some sort of like siren song or something that they've kind of figured out. And we've talked about this with other entities and stuff and our, well, I mean, just fear of kind mm-hmm. of that becoming more and more intelligent mm-hmm. as to what will work to lure people in. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny because I was just listening to a podcast, God, and I cannot think of what podcast it was on. It was it was basically a podcast where pe- you know people would call in with their accounts, and this guy had called in and was talking about how him and his friend were like camping or hiking or something, and they started hearing like what sounded like a small child, like like crying and like screaming and saying like please help find me help find me which you know immediately i thought of disembodied voices but he says as he gets closer he he sees like you know about a hundred yards you know he he sort of hiked to where the sound was coming from Mm -hmm. and he sort of got over this hill and then down in this valley about i don't know um maybe like 200 feet away he said that he sees this, like, what seems to be, like, an older teenager wearing, like, a hoodie, uh, just sort of, like, leaning up against a tree, you know, with sort of the posture that uh, of someone that's clearly not scared and also mm-hmm. clearly not a very small child, like, he's hearing. Right. But he, he said it was weird because he could, he could see the dude, which was, like, you know, 200 feet away, just chilling out, leaning against a tree, but he's hearing this sound of this like small child and it's coming out of this teenager's like mouth. Oh God. Yeah, but he said the sound was like, it was right in front of him, even though the the guy was like 200 feet away. So there is something, there's something, there is like a cool sort of interesting correlation between like, you know, the fact that they're, they're called like sound People. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think there's there's something interesting there, you know. Yeah. I mean, Tesla would say, go on to say that, like, you know, sound and resonance and vibration are the, the secrets to the universe. So, like, I don't know. I think there could be something to that. Yeah. Well, like, maybe, maybe the vib- vibratory sort of 
you know, sound is like, you know, along with things like Coral Castle and stuff, maybe that's how they're sort of like, they're just vibrating. And again, this is sort of new agey, but they're just vibrating at like a higher resonance. So mm. like we can't see them. They are yeah. invisible, you know. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad, Season 2, Episode 23. The Coral Castle. Yeah, yeah, where they, they understand that their technology mm. um, has the capability of, of using things that are in our physical world and in our right. realm of, you know, physics, the, the science of physics. They yeah. can manipulate those things in a way that we haven't figured out how to do yet mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, you know, appear invisible but live right alongside us, which is yeah. also just like a weird and creepy concept to think about where... You know, it's much different here in our sort of Western world where we have, you know, solid wooden framed homes and walls and stuff. But a lot of these in your, your you know, Borneo and Sumatran jungles, you're talking about these, oh, yeah. you know, thatch huts yeah. where, you know, they're just I mean, they're out secure. in it. Right, right. And then the, the yeah. fact that like some sort of entity or creature or being can mask their physical appearance to where you can't see them. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit like the predator or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of be able to just like walk in on you and just be standing there. I mean, that's just scary as heck. Yeah, dude. Well, and it's also uh, another, was it the Oswong where you would hear like a woman like laughing or a woman crying, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you, you get to her and she appears, you know, beautiful, naked, you know, long-haired, like, Asian woman. And then as you get closer, then, Oof. you know, she... Yeah, splits <laughs> her body in half or something. Yeah, exactly. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad, Season 1, Episode 46, The Oswong and Other Cryptids of the Philippines. Yeah, man, I mean, it's it's difficult to, uh, to you know, to be a hero. Then you're, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, all right, so this account... This kind of goes back to you. You asked a question about like, well, what ha- you know, we kind of talked about them potentially marrying um, these beings and, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Again, I was like, well, maybe that happened back in the day, and then people were just telling us, listen to this. Uh, a guy named Sulama Abdul Qadir is a writer from a Singapore-based paranormal research organization called Supernatural. That didn't get too original mm-hmm. with it. Okay. And he interviewed this alternative medicine practitioner, Madame Sean. Now, remember what I said earlier. These creatures are invisible to people except for certain people that can see them. But also, these uh, entities have been known to help people that are either, quote-unquote, magicians or shaman or, you know. Wise women. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. So here we have the alternative. Now, the modern version of that is the alternative medicine practitioner, named Madame Sean, who claimed to have married a prince from the wrong Bunyan community. Mm. The incident took place in 2004, after Madame Sean had dreams about meeting a handsome prince from the wrong Bunyan community at a place called Gunung Lidang. She claimed that she had married a prince by the name of Amiruddin Shah bin Hassan Shah who was the wow. only child of King Hassan and resided in Gunung Ledang. Madame Shan had made this trip to Gunung Ledang with a group of friends, and according to them, she disappeared 
for about four hours. She also claimed that she had given birth to seven children through a human relationship, quote-unquote, that she had with this prince, who can appear as human only if he chooses to. Isn't that wild? Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a few things with that that I think of. She's dipping into the alternative medicine jar and just drinking a little too much of it? Well, I mean, it. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the whole invisibility thing feels a little bit like... Um, and it's so weird that I'm about to say this because, I mean, I've said it before on the show, but it, I'm still sort of blown away that I'm that I've reached this conclusion because, you know, growing up in a small Baptist church, I would hear this all the time of like, oh, well, you know, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try like talking to angels and you shouldn't mm. try to do other stuff because, you know, it's like demons basically masquerading as like these spirits. So like, you know, avoid like mediums and mm -hmm. Ouija boards and like all that kind of stuff. This sort of feels like the new age version of mm. that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so were were the kids like completely normal or were, were they? Yeah, I didn't say. I don't know. Hmm. And I mean, she claimed to have given birth to seven of them. So I don't know if yeah. they just like stayed there and she came back four hours. I mean, it's just wild. That is wild. So unlike other spirits and ghosts that are often associated with black magic or harm, which I think is perfect timing, you know, based on, you know, thinking that maybe this is just some demonic being mm -hmm. that is coming in and, and trying to sort of hack the system and create some some human form, mm -hmm. or, you know. Despite the lore that surrounds, you know, children disappearing. And I think one of the things that some of these things have talked about and exists in the mythology is you know, if the, the children are wandering around, maybe they don't know the rules and the rituals that they need to do to enter oh, right. into that area, right? And so, mm -hmm. again, this is an area that these kids don't have Game Boys and, and you know, Pokemon Go and stuff to play on, on their parents' yeah. phone. Instead, they're just playing around in the jungle. And so they could wander off into uh, an area that they're unfamiliar with. Unbeknownst to them, they happen to be in the Orang Bunyan's territory, so to speak, and mm. they get sort of like, oh, wow. All of a sudden, like, imagine being a kid entering into, quote, unquote, the Feywild or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh, man. And then you get kind of trapped or whatever, which is another so, terrifying concept. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder if there's sort of a, like, an Asian version of, like, a fairy circle. You know, yeah, you I don't know. see, like, the yeah. mushrooms. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't talk about any sort of... Um, Sort of like visual. Yeah, uh, like clues that it was. There are a couple that we'll get to in just a second, but like, uh, I don't know. So, so so more than likely it's like, it's like, oh, don't go in this area. Yeah, don't go into this like deep forest area. Right. right. There's some that are specific to that I'll, that I'll talk about in just a second. So, And again, this, I mean, I hate to keep drawing like parallels to other things, but I mean, this is just... This is amazing. We'll return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From 
Another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchin, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. It also kind of leads me to believe, which again, I think are kind of the same thing in a way of like the djinn. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of yeah. feels like masquerading as humans, but they can kind of be invisible and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. So for the most part, though, again, despite the lore of, of children being children disappearing, mm-hmm. the Orang Bunyan are often regarded as free spirits existing peacefully in the mortal realm. Now, again, I think this kind of, uh, depending on where you are, right? So, like, in Malaysia, maybe there's more of, like, sort of, like, they consider it more dangerous. In certain areas of Sumatra, they don't. But, like, Mm -hmm. native tribes in in Indonesia go to great lengths to protect certain areas of, of deep forests and mountains, considering them the sacred homes of the Orang Bunyan. They do regular offerings or rituals that are conducted to maintain the sanctity of these spaces and trying to really sort of foster this harmonious coexistence between humans and spirits. For example, there is a place called The Rock on Palau Aur, which is on a little island off Messing, and it's known as the Batu Berhala. And it was formerly home, apparently, to the Orang Bunyan. Villagers believed that the Orang Bunyan hid a lot of goods that were from a shipwreck of like Chinese ships and stuff, and they hid it in this secret cave within this giant rock mountain area. And those who wanted help from the Orang Bunyan would have to perform specific rituals and offerings. And then once the bun- the Orang Bunyan were satisfied, a door to the cave would open, mm. and the people could help themselves to the treasure and things that were there. But here's where it gets super interesting. This kind of reminds me, not necessarily of the gin, but it is somewhat reminiscent of that sort of idea. These goods were on loan. Mm. So if you didn't honor your obligation to give it back or whatever, and you fled with these items, the bunion would leave and, you know, no longer help people and... It just—it doesn't say that they would hurt the people, but they would just kind of like start to disappear, and not—you mm. you, wouldn't—nobody would be able to be able to get back in there again, kind of thing. So I wonder if—if—is it more like just cursed items, or is it more like the gin where they're able to like live within these? Yeah, no, I don't think they live items. within the atoms. Uh, it's more like—it's not even like curse, really. It's sort of like. This is where we start to get into the Orang Bunyan being more known for sort of being helpful to humans. Like, hey, can we borrow this? Or, mm. hey, can we use that? And then like, the, like, like the plate thing, the mm-hmm. example yeah, you yeah. gave? And I'm yeah. going to get into some very interesting stories of the plate thing is like a big part of this hmm. in these cultures. So listen to this, man. Some of these come from actually just like different Reddit threads in a uh, Malaysian and Indonesian thread that I found. So this one says, my grandma had a story of her having a bunion as a playmate when she was younger. Mm. The Orang Bunyan kept watch over her until she was in her late teens. And that's because she moved out of Batu Pahat 
which is an area of uh, Malaysia. Uh, that might be the only that's a one sentence one. No, dude, that's that's awesome because that almost that that sort of answers well, sort of maybe answers the question I had earlier, where maybe this is it. Maybe it wasn't so much that she moved away, but she sort of grew up, reached that you know those teenage years where she started to kind of like not you mm-hmm. know the veil wasn't as you know lifted yeah as much and she couldn't see those things this one that's come, really cool yeah dude I, I love that idea and that that idea by the way exists in all cultures almost there is mm-hmm. an element of that childhood innocence and that being related to being able to see beyond our own world even just in a um not scary sense, but being able to like feel the presence of of God basically better than we can because we're so far removed from that innocence by the time we're adults, you know? Right, exactly. So it's yeah. really interesting. So this one actually comes from a student uh, and it says, I don't really have any problems with bunions. <laughs> Sounds like he's got <laughs> foot issues. Uh, this is not a podiatry um, mm-hmm. blog. But two years ago, he says, my entire school, his class basically, he said, my entire school prefect went on a trip to a resort near a mountainous area of Nigiri Simbalan. We do stuff like hiking and stuff, but out of all the groups there, only mine was not terribly, quote, teased by these entities. Other groups reported weird noises outside their dorms, like marching and weird voices and such. So, like trickster. Mm-hmm. Type behavior, yeah. One girl said one of the bunk beds was doing weird shakes when they're sleeping, but there's no one on it. He said, hell, one of the kids in my group said that there was this tall and slender white thing standing right beside my friend who was sleeping, right beside Ooh. me. Reports of these phenomenons were so bad that they actually canceled all of the night walks and everything. They basically started a curfew for these kids after that for the remainder of the trip wow let's see here's another one it says i'm more towards i need solid proof to believe but my family members really believe this orang bunion thing my maternal grandma used to put money and it says like rm5 or arms and so like a few cents at this small hut that she called sarau orang nibi kidir and this was back in the 90s she would slip the money next to the water container or under the coconut shell at the entrance of the hut. She did this before holding any kinduri at home for, sm- for a smooth event. Okay, so anytime the grandma would have like a family meal or something, she would do this ritual so that the event would go smoothly. I mean, it's just like leaving milk out for the brownies, mm-hmm. you know leaving your offerings for Bigfoot. I mean, this is like such a a common thing worldwide. Mm. And it says, what's interesting is seconds after Grandma put the money down, I tried to go and find the money. I flipped over the uh, water container. I flipped over the coconut. Gone. Mm. The recent one is about old ceramic plates at my grandma's house that keep appearing back at home after being thrown away. My mom, dad, and brothers witnessed this as they were the ones getting rid of those plates. 
My grandma is still alive at 93 and has a trouble speaking, it says, so I can't get clarification. But for some reason, these plates, no matter how many times they threw them away, would always come back. Mm. So there's a user, there's a comment underneath this specific one. It says, Arong Bunyan used to lend plates to villagers for kinduri in the old days. Again, that's like a, I think it's like a wedding or a family function or something like that. Or like, you know, like a ceremonial dinner. I'm wondering if your grandma made a deal with them and with the plates. Man, that's pretty awesome. This is where it gets a little bit more about the plates and stuff. It says, <clears throat> this comment says, I'm always intrigued by the uh, by these stories which come out from the Malay community. It's often told in such a factual manner, like not ghost. So it is often, oh, my grandma's mother for her wedding didn't have enough plates and bowls, so borrowed it from the nice bunion. Quite often there's a collaborating other person that's attesting to the same thing. When you challenge them, they say, go and ask, you know, person Y or person XYZ. His mm-hmm. grandfather was there too. Apparently plates and bowls do appear and people from time to time do not think it's strange that it happened. It's so ingrained in our culture, it says. What is more bizarre is I know one Chinese family who stayed alongside the Malay community who says that their great-grandmother actually witnessed these plates and bowls being delivered during the morning of the wedding. The great-grandmother tells it that she witnessed with her own eyes and could even provide other witnesses to back up her uh, account. My own grandmother has never witnessed this, but apparently even in Penang, it was not unusual prior to World War II to hear of Malay families borrowing bowls and plates from these entities. He says, what I found also interesting is that almost all these stories ended around World War II in this area. I haven't heard any other sources that were more recent. Hmm. I mean, it almost makes you believe that like, it, that, you know, back then it was so common because it was like, so sort of readily and like widely believed that Mm -hmm. it was real. So Mm -hmm. it was like, in turn, kind of made it happen. Yeah. You know, or or something. And especially that, that comment about it being less common after World War II is interesting because if we can kind of all get to that same page where, okay, we can... For a second, just believe, let's just say that the these beings live parallel to us mm-hmm. in a world that we just can't see, right? So in other words, like all of our spaces that we think are like roads and stuff are actually like, not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so let's just say that that exists. But although they're, well, maybe they're destroyed by these like, bombs and all this kind of stuff, whatever it is, and then they kind of go and move somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a pretty interesting one too. It says, I used to scoff at this until my mates and I got lost climbing a famous hill in Malaysia. Nothing much happened on the way up. We just, you know, kind of chatted and stuff and we spent the night at the peak. We made a challenge to one another before we went to bed that whoever descended the mountain last would be, you know, a rotten egg. So at dawn, we were went... dead. <laughs> and then they died. <laughs> or kidnapped. So at dawn, we went galloping down and for some reason kind of veered off track. 
It was misty and foggy, and we couldn't see the path, but continued downwards, beating through the bushes, hoping when the fog lifted we'd see some sort of trail marking. We were starting to panic. Finally, the fog did lift after about an hour or so, and as the bushes cleared out, we found ourselves at the peak. Touched the plaque and all. Hmm. We really couldn't figure it out. And says, there's actually a lot of stories like this. Usually people are, quote, played. So basically, they ran their butts off down this mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And they're in fog. And I don't know how long it's been since you've walked through fog, but I think you can still tell if you're moving down or up based on just how your muscles are feeling. I mean, I would hope so. So they're, they're just hauling butt for like an hour, and then the fog lifts in their back at the peak. They made a circle. It's wild. Oh, that is weird. That almost sounds like some uh, dimensional, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, do you know what electronic fog is? It's called, uh, no. a, a lot of sort of the fringe researchers of like the Bermuda Triangle will talk about it. Like these pilots will suddenly be surrounded by like what they've termed elect- electronic or, le- or electric fog, I think where like all of their equipment starts going haywire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it sort of like creates a bubble around them. So like it doesn't matter how fast they go, if they go up, if they go down, it it never leaves them. And mm. so they don't they don't know if they're going up, they're going down. Yeah, that's, so, that's terrifying. We kind of talked yeah. about that briefly when we talked about that pilot that got lost in, in uh, Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hear more about this rad strangeness on That Would Be Rad. Season 2, Episode 13, UFOs of the Land Down Under, Part 1. Here's another one. He says, my late grandfather used to tell stories about how uh, folks would borrow um, things from the Orang Bunyan for weddings and festivities in the 1930s. And he said that the grandpa would say, look, they're not like monsters or ghosts like you see in the movies. They just exist on a different plane to us or in another dimension, something like that. Living their life, doing their own thing, have a family, and so on. You do not bother them, and they do not bother you. He says, do not call them out for favors or trouble them with your petty problems. You respect them and watch your manners where they reside, like in the top of mountains and hills, and you'll be fine, he said. So someone comments right after that and says, but like, how does the process work? Do some... Bomo or the magicians contact them from their hut and then the next day a bunch of plates appear or something <laughs> and the user is weird like yeah. how do you go about well the user replied with this you don't need a Bomo you just you just go to a place usually at the edge of a jungle or in the middle of Kaboon and shout assalamu alaikum a few times <laughs> <laughs> it really it really is oh uh, really yeah yeah calling out to the Bunyan's name and the Bunyan... So in other words, like, assalamu alaikum just means, like, you know, like, greetings, right? And yeah, so but I thought that was a purely Jewish... No, 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 assalamu alaikum is uh, Muslim. Or Muslim, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, it is. Like a more and, Middle Eastern type. Yeah, no, no, it's just Muslim. And, you know, keep in mind, uh, Indonesia is 98% Muslim, right? And the other two... Oh, yeah. Well, there's, like, so. the other 2% is a split between, like, the hev- heavily Hindu population in Bali... And then sprinkled throughout there is Christianity. I mean, like maybe one percent. Okay. So anyway, you go to the edge of the woods. You 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 know shout your greeting a few times. You call out to the bunyan, and the bunyan will return 
the greeting and say, what do you want in a polite manner? And then you say um, something like, you know, we don't have, uh, or we want to do a kinduri, which again, we want to do a feast two days from now. Our son is getting married. We expect a big crowd, but we don't know, we don't have enough, um, they call them pingan manguk, which I guess means cutlery. <laughs> So can you please lend us some for the event? We would be so grateful, blah, blah, blah. So then the bunion will then go back and in the middle of the night or early morning hours, no one ever sees it happen except for that one story that we that we heard. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden the plates are there. Wow. It says, I was also skeptical about this whole thing until later as a grown man, I heard about the same things happening from tons of Malay folks in all other places. He says, one thing I forgot to emphasize is that you can't just do this cold, really. He kind of got the hint from his grandparents that they were sort of neighborly and knew each other well already, that you need to have some sort of relationship with them to be able to do this. But, I mean, what what does that, like, entail, though, I guess? Yeah, I don't know, just living alongside them for, like, a long time. Like, they wouldn't just show themselves. I mean, I'm sure also that it, that it's, like, one of those things of, like, you know, these, you know, more than likely, like, really old locals, you know, that are still sort of continuing this tradition. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure they're not going to just, like, give it away. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To some disrespectful teenager who's just like, yeah, yeah whatever. Because sure. then he could mess it up for everyone. Remember, like, the story of that sort of mountain mm-hmm. where that shipwrecked Chinese stuff was, and they would let yeah. them in every now and then. Um it's a very it's a it's a interesting sort of marriage of folklore and mythology. Um, there are a couple of situations that I want to talk about that are even more recent. We will return after these messages. This is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. While you were reading, I did, I looked into like fairies, like around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, the Malaysian Pari Pari, mm-hmm. or the Indonesian Peri, you're often seen as motherly creatures who will help those who have a good heart. Malay fairies also love fruit and like nature. Hmm. It's interesting. It's also interesting, too, because there's a lot of, again, coming off of a vacation where we went to two different museums of natural history, one mm-hmm. in D.C. and one in New York. There's so many creatures, teeny tiny little monkeys and stuff that exist in these areas mm-hmm. that, you know, gosh, man, you got to wonder, there's the easy confusion of, these little beings that are intelligent being confused with fairies and that kind of thing. But then also thinking about it in a more like sort of true believer sense being that, well, maybe that's just how they're disguising themselves because it's a little bit easier, you know? Right. Right. Well, and also like, you know, to put on my skeptics hat, 
the idea of you know first and first off you're you're sort of using that as a cautionary tale of like well kids don't be out after dark or don't you know and then also being able to play it off and say well they can turn invisible mm-hmm. you know i mean i'm not saying that i disbelieve but i'm just saying like i'm sure some of this has been used as more of a cautionary tale you know than than like it's just very convenient as a parent, I guess. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would totally use that. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of scary, but, I mean, they are kind of blamed for things like kidnappings and mm-hmm. uh, missing people cases. And just to kind of get, again, back into the Tim Marshenko idea of these disembodied voices and things luring you and, and uh, all that, There is, well, two cases. One of the more recent things, and this just, again, is an example of how deeply enriched this is in Mm -hmm. these areas and the culture. So in 2019, there was a hiker who went missing in Kuala Lumpur. And Mm. there was like 170, what would you say here, 170 strong police team aided by search and rescue, fire, who went and have been trying to track this guy down. I don't think that they ever found him. And they are they were searching sort of the the Malaysian forests and you know 800 volunteers this 29-year-old known as Acap went missing. And again it says in this news article from Malaysia it says the 29-year-old also known as Acap was reported missing by his friend. The search which was already entered into its 22nd day has led to multiple theories by the public who claimed that this runner, I think it was like a trail race, the runner mm-hmm. had been abducted by Orang Bunyan, a it, supernatural being in the Malay folklore. Now, this is a newspaper article. Like the, the newspaper article is Search for ACAP Continues Theories of Supernatural Elements Surface. Let's see. So it says it's already the 22nd day of the search has led to multiple theories who claim the runner had been abducted by Orang Bunyan. They even alleged that a Bomo, or shaman, was called in to perform rituals to find this guy. Um, mm. And they still never found him? They still never found him. Wow. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't look like it was during a race. It was just kind of like a training run. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and it says, his disappearance was dubbed mysterious as the area was most mostly frequented by the public for recreational activities. Another case involved Hassan Ayat... Uh, a 28-year-old who participated in 13-men expedition climb to Yongyap Mountain located along the Perak and uh, state border in uh, Malaysia. The group was descending from the top on February 15, 2009 when they realized that this guy was missing. And um, they never found him and he was considered lost in this thick forest. Hmm. Later, a poem allegedly written by him months before his disappearance surfaced, the contents of which indicated that he was abducted by mystical creatures. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. I mean, I don't know. Again, I could see the skeptics, you know, just saying, oh, sure, yeah, he was, just got lost or fell off the mountain, which is... Yeah, or, or predation or... Yeah, total possibility. I mean, again, in Sumatra, I'm not sure about Malaysia. I think they're there are in Malaysia probably less than in Sumatra, but we're mm-hmm. talking about an area where it's just surrounded by tigers. Yeah, right. Wild tigers, right? And so, yes, skeptic, it is easy to attribute 
missing persons, missing children to predation. It's a possibility for sure. Yeah. It's the other stuff that's interesting though, alongside it, right? The borrowing of plates and stuff in this ritualistic manner that is just part of this culture. The, you know, sacred areas and all this kind of thing. You know, earlier we kind of talked about the weird sort of marrying and having children. Dude, this is the last sort of thing I'm going to share here. Uh, the article comes from, again, another Malaysian newspaper. And, you know, bear with it. It's translated to English, so it could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But the name of the article is Orang Bunyan, Our Neighbors in the Supernatural World. And, and this is December 19th, 2011. So again, it's not like 1945. This is right. modern. It says, a mother to, this is wild, dude. A mother-to-be was in labor. Her midwife was urging her to, you know, push hard, hoping the newborn would be delivered smoothly. But there was no baby. Only the mother's placenta appeared. No child was born. What? The article says, what happened? Where did the baby go? In a case like this, the baby is most probably taken by the Bunyan community. <laughs> this expert associate professor, Datuk uh, Boran, explained in an interview with Yahoo Malaysia. No medical or scientific reason can explain this incident. But if you believe in the supernatural world, you might speculate this. The midwife attending to the delivery could have had supernatural powers and may have even struck a deal with the Orang Bunyan to offer the newborn in return for material gains or fulfillment of other requests. Mm. Hospital University Kibingsan in Malaysia Psych Department, Dr. Ruzuna Zamzam said she had encountered such a case before. The patient was a 43-year-old woman who claimed to be four months pregnant. She had undergone all the necessary ultrasound scans and successfully recorded images of a female fetus in her womb. Her heavy figure, it says, made it difficult to judge her pregnancy, but a a few days before, (laughs) a few days, this is what it says over there, okay? A few days before her due date, she she claimed to have experienced a spiritual event. She was visited by the lady who was preparing her delivery. Subsequently, a man told her that she had lost her baby she then saw a medical checkup and this time the ultrasound revealed a non-pregnant uterus man this is pretty interesting it says the wrong bunions supposedly resemble human beings and don't live too differently from us um, it's explained that the wrong bunion community live in another dimension of reality but like in this world they too have families in their own social structure there are no clear demarcations between our reality and the Orang Bunyan's reality. That kind of answers your question about the fairy circles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it says you can't see their world with the naked eye. To enter this world, you must have the special ability to do so. Mediums or bomos can befriend them. They say they are not spirits that you can manipulate or instruct like the toyo or the jinn. There's a way of speaking to them. You can speak nicely to them by asking them to fulfill your request, but if that does not work at times, you can also threaten them or make an offering or barter to come to an agreement. Hmm. Many believers of the Malay and Indonesian folklore say that the Orang Bunyan is 
linked to the Mingyang Kabao culture, originating from Western Sumatra in Indonesia. The Orang Bunyan is known to live in the forests or foothills and sometimes near cemeteries and empty buildings. It says that some equate this community to elves, while others believe they are built on a royal social structure with kings and queens and princesses. The spirits are known to appear at sunset and often used as a reason to explain cases of missing children or people who go astray in forests. So, man, you um, know, I, I, it, it, it's hard not to go here, but like it is interesting to think of, you know, here, especially here in the U.S. with uh, like if you guys know of like David Politis and his missing 411 books, it's like, it sounds a whole lot like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Just being in, you know, across the world on a different continent. But like, I, I just I just wonder if if there's something similar happening. Mm-hmm. You know, that they say that these, these people that just go missing will disappear in like boulder fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll just, it's just like they just disappear off the map and then, or then you'll find like their clothes in like a pile or. Yeah. Or the whole busload of clothes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Kind of the same thing, man. That's, that's really, really weird. Finally, um, it kind of says, skeptic, and I love this sentence, so I'm going to kind of use it to sort of wrap up the telling of all this and then we can kind of talk about what we think. It says, skeptics may ignore their existence, but no one really can explain these case studies and experiences. The believers would urge then to just be respectful of the wrong bunion and mind your own business. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so anyways, that's the wrong bunion, man. Um, oh, I love it, man. I love it. Super, it it's super interesting. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me of uh, that one episode where, I don't know, I don't think it was like just about fairies, but for some reason we started talking about like, the Italian fairies, and it was like, man, that's weird. I've never heard that before. I've never even sort of associated with Italy as having like their own fairies, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of similar to this too, you know? It's, you just, you don't really think of those, you know, you know, uh, like England and Ireland and Scotland, like that's such a a common sort of Mm -hmm. location for, for this type of thing. And so it's, it's, it's cool, and it's a little bit of a juxtaposition to see it in sort of Asian yeah, culture. Southeast Asia. But it's interesting, yeah. too, as you're saying that, I'm kind of like in my mind picturing, you know, like the the highlands of Scotland and the, mm-hmm. the hills of, of Ireland. And as I'm thinking about it, you know, some of these like mountainous areas of Sumatra, for example, mm-hmm. they're kind of, I mean, sure, there's different plant life and animals, obviously, but right. it is kind of that same sort of thing. So it's like if you, in the same way that um, a certain landscape can be the home for like an animal, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, in the same way that like we have mountain lions and cougars and stuff like that in other parts of the world, similar animals exist in areas that are similar in environment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's yeah, interesting yeah. to me that like, yes, we associate that folklore with those more European areas that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. but in an area that is somewhat similar in landscape, not necessarily like exact at all, but I mean, yeah. still it's like, 
in those mountainous regions, yeah. in those hills, this similar entity exists. Well, and also, you know, if we're looking at it, which I, I think I do, you know, it's that sort of Jacques Vallée thing where I think there is like a, a dimensional thing, you know, and mm-hmm. I think maybe, maybe these people that are sort of like gifted or have like, you know, the sight and that kind of thing or, or like sensitive, I guess we would say over here, mm-hmm. that can maybe see these things. I think that's interesting too. Um, it, one of the things that it kind like this sort of topic always kind of takes me back to is like, you know, my own sort of experience with orbs and the the one or two times that that my wife and I, you know, fiance at the time, my wife and I would see, uh, we were looking at the same orb, but then she was seeing a different color than what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that like, so fascinating and I and I think like I, I just wonder if it's that ability to like see these things or like you know are you like quote unquote like sensitive or special or whatever mm-hmm. or is it some sort of physiological component that yeah. you know you just have much like a person can be colorblind and then a person yeah. you know can see regular it's like what is that thing that's you know that they were born with that allows them, you know, to not see the full spectrum. So like maybe some people just are able to see like a couple extra bumps on the scale of that spectrum, you know, Mm -hmm. or I just, I think that's fascinating. Perhaps the lineage goes back so far that these folks that can quote unquote see are, Oh, here we go. You know, they have descent, their descendants there of it is. these beings. Yeah, dude, that's, I was hoping you were going to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really cool. It's, especially if they're like close enough in, in looks to kind of, you know, experiment with that. I mean, it, it kind of even calls back to, you know, my memory of like even sort of Greek mythology with, with uh, Zeus and stuff. You know, he would kind of be like, well, that's a hot human. And then he'd go make a demigod. Mm-hmm. Right, and who would live amongst humans, yep. and you know, uh, well, so, Her, Her, wasn't Hercules? Yeah, well, yeah, he was I like say, half yeah, real confident. But Greek mythology and <laughs> what, what is happening the... to my phone, <laughs> dude? My phone is doing the craziest stuff lately. Yeah, I'll just look down and it'll be calling like the most random number. Jeez. But that wasn't even calling. That was just the noise of the dial tone. Dude, it was in a wrong bunion. We just captured it <laughs> on tape. I have never heard my phone make that noise. That is so bizarre, dude. I think it was. Hmm. No, one, one thing before we leave that I think is interesting, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I don't know that I have heard many tales uh, you know, of sort of the European ilk of fairies. I don't know that I've heard anywhere, you know, humans were sort of like intentionally, you know, sort of falling in love or marrying mm-hmm. into the culture. Like it's, there's a lot more sort of like, you know, fairy abductions mm-hmm. and, and like, oh, the fairies, like, you know, it's a beautiful woman and she lured me into a fairy ring and then I was stuck in fairyland and, and all that stuff. You don't really ever hear, I don't think, that much where it's like a, you know, uh, you're like consenting to, yeah. to like marry one of these things. Yeah. 
so that's I feel like that's kind of a a new thing. Yeah, at least at least from what I know. And just to make sure that that the listeners on the same page, when we say like fairies and stuff, like again, these are sometimes even referred to as the Asian elves. So mm. we're kind of like encompassing, I guess that fairy, you know, fae kind of yeah, right uh, term into including like sort of the elf. Um, you know, because if you think, I think when people think of fairies, you know, besides like Tinkerbell, they think of like a smaller, like sprites and mm-hmm. um, all those kind of things. But like the elves come from that same sort of world, you know, the fairy yeah. lands yeah. and, and stuff like that. Another thing that's just fascinating to me about this all is it just really kind of reemphasizes the reason we kind of went international with Camp Red Strangeness this year, but also just. I guess, again, illustrates to people our fascination with the fact that there are so many of these things around the world that we don't know about, but they exist. And not only do they exist, but they're so entrenched into these cultures that, you know, they're being talked about on the the main news program. Mm -hmm. They're, They're, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition. Yeah. That still exist today about things that there we can find parallels all around the world. And so yeah. like I have said it a million times here, I wish I would have majored in anthropology so that I could have a better understanding of potential like is there a potential that exists where a lot of this can be traced back to like the same origin, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. And then once like people started spreading a, a, around the world and then being sort of, you know, secluded by... Oh, like landlocked? Yeah, landlocked, but also just like secluded by it being like an, another island and, hey, I don't have a boat that can get that far. Those mm-hmm. stories then kind of took a life of their own and, and that's where those differences are. I don't know. I, I don't know enough anthropology to say that that's not a possibility. Yeah, um, but but <clears> I, I I know where you're going with that and I, and I could definitely see how skeptics would think that, but... To me, the the thing that kind of breaks that apart is the, you know, when when we find these like indigenous cultures, mm-hmm. you know, these tribes that are, you know, these newly discovered tribes that we're, you know, we're still finding in the Amazon that have been completely separated. It's like you hear these same kind of like myths and these same kind of characters and mm-hmm. creatures. And it's like, you know, I think it plays a little bit. Is it in, is it like a monomyth? Is it something that's like built inside of us as humans? You know, you, the trickster archetype, and it gets into sort of Joseph Campbell and Hero of a Thousand Faces and stuff where it's like, are these things just sort of encoded in our DNA so that it doesn't matter what continent we're on, uh, our ancestors were all they were all thinking about these things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's pretty fascinating um, just within itself, like whether they're real or not. I think the idea of like them sort of being like built inside of us, I think that's almost just as interesting, you know? Yeah, for sure. Man. Um, I, I do. It kind of reminds me of uh, just the like respect mm-hmm. and the like seriousness these people have for these these entities you know it reminds me of like iceland where mm. for any of our listeners in iceland we salute you because you know i think the last time it was taken 
the census was like over 80% of the population believe in these elves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just really cool because if nothing else, it's, it is, you know, in a Neil Gaiman sort of way, it is keeping these things alive. And uh, I think that's, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I thought you were going to go a different direction with the respect of these creatures in the area that surround, that they're surrounded by. To Mm -hmm. me, it kind of reminds me of the same sort of respect and care that our own sort of Native Americans Mm-hmm. and First Nations people in, in Canada and all that have yeah. for the wilderness and the spirits in the wilderness. It also reminds me of, uh, the, the you know, Japanese culture, mm-hmm. same kind of thing, you know. And I'm sure that there are parallels in each one of those that we could kind of cross-reference here. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the idea of maybe visiting those, you know, on their own. I think that they, they deserve their own, uh, Oh yeah. You know, story and treatment and stuff. Yeah. We're definitely going to do, I mean, this would probably be a multi-episode thing of like the yokai, like the Japanese Mm -hmm. yokai. There are these sort of care, you know, for folks that don't know, there are these sort of characters or archetypes or beings. Uh, some of it kind of blends into like, like Shinto religion where like everything kind of has a soul. It's very sort of like the animus, kind of thing but it's it gets real weird and it's so weird that we're talking about this because i just got a book that i haven't started reading yet but it's a marvel book of all things called demon days and it's by this ultra prolific artist who does like every marvel comic like variant cover and her name's peach momoko and um it's basically this sort of beautiful watercolor you know, pen and ink or brush and ink rather story where it's all about like these yokai, these characters, but they're, they're sort of taken in the, or they're sort of presented as like, you know, like known Marvel characters, which is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And also, man, I don't have the book in front of me, but it's like the writer of the book is like the yokai guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would actually love to try to get him on because He's an American guy. I think his name's Zach or Zachary something. But he's done, you know, if if you look on Amazon for yokai, like he's kind of, he's done multiple books. And it's just kind of like a a listing or like an encyclopedia or encyclopedias of all of these different yokai characters. Uh, so he's sort of the, you know, the guy when it comes to yokai. But it's it's a really interesting sort of take on you know, that blended with the Marvel Universe. So I'm excited to read it. And then it sounds awesome. And then I'm definitely, I'll definitely pass it on to you. So, because you've kind of got me in this Japanese, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm dipping my toe in it, but. My, how the turntables have (laughs) turned. (laughs) Well, cool, dude. Well, uh, if you would like to find us, you can head over to Instagram. Uh, That's where the bulk of our sort of social media presence is uh drop us a line jump in the comments shoot us a dm tell us what you like about the show tell us what you don't like about the show we won't read those but you can still shoot them over there (laughs) if you want to tell us about your own urban legend or your own localized sort of cryptic or cryptid encounter or ghost story or anything cool like that Feel free to shoot it to our email. That would be radpod at gmail.com. Or even better, you can head on over to that would be little that would be radpodcast.com 
our website where you can leave your own voice memo, if you will, uh, or your own message where you can tell your own story and, uh, and maybe it'll show up in a future episode. Also from there, you can jump on whatever podcatcher you want to listen to the show, leave a five-star review, leave a good review for us, tell a single friend about the show, and uh, yeah, just pass it on. Also, if you're not getting enough on this free feed, head on over to Patreon where you can join The Rabbit Trail, which is our Patreon where there's more of what you love and uh, it's a little a little looser, a little... Uh, a little you more know, behind the scenes here and behind there. Behind the scenes. A little deeper into some of these topics. Yeah, yeah. A little more granular, a little later at night. Usually they're recorded. Uh, there's multiple tiers to uh, to suit your financial needs. And uh, I guess that's about it. You got anything else, Woody? I think that's it, man. Cool, man. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it
granted. I got a thing. Have you seen those ads? I mean, they really got me. Those ads for, uh, you see it on like Instagram all the time. It's called like the zip string. Not at all. Dude, it's awesome. Next time I see you, I'm going to bring it. It's like this, I mean, I bought it for Elliot, but if I'm being honest, it was, it was kind of so I could have it. <laughs> oh, man, that's how, that's how it always is. Oh. The zip string. I just looked yeah, up the Zipstream. It's like four ninety nine, and already I know it's off to a great start. <laughs> For that price, you know you're getting good. No, no, Go no. Mine, mine's like thirty bucks. Oops. Wait, four ninety nine. Oh come on, Tyler! You bought this thing for thirty bucks. Wait, what are you talking about, dude? If you Google Zipstream, <laughs> no, the, I got it off the website. Oh man! Oh, this is great. Hold on. I just Google. You might not want to do it. You're just going to get angry. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's a $30 one, and then you can get it for, um, well, the the knockoff version is called a Zip Toy Loop String. Yeah, but that's on like Timu. Those are, yeah. that thing it literally would, would die before you even. Oh, yeah, break, broken. All right, let's that go. That's pretty cool, though. Well, in the Malay Peninsula, oh, here we go. Here we the, go. They even like lack what's called man. I'm f***ing up words like left and right. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, you're doing great. You're doing great, man. I'm so glad that you finally learned to read. How's that hooked on phonics working? All right. Hey, do they even have hooked on phonics anymore? I don't. I don't know, man. Um, a big thing back in the day. <laughs> thanks, pal. <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking about it because I remember. Uh, I'm glad you're wasting be, time about that. Yeah. Whenever we would be touring, you would uh, stop. You'd bring uh, your books along with you. Mm-hmm. Your tape, your cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and your workbooks. In mm-hmm. some accounts. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't know why that's so funny and also so sad, the idea of yeah, no. like guys that are in their 20s and one guy <laughs> brings along his hooked-on phonics workbooks. Yeah. Oh, 